1: You're listening to From the Chair, and I'm your host, Mike Hamilton. Join us each episode as we talk to athletic directors from across America. We're going to talk about topics like leadership, career development, issues of the day, and I can promise you we're going to have some fun along the way too. So sit back, listen in, and let's dive in. Let's go. All right. Welcome to today's episode. Uh, My guest today is Mark Harlan, the athletic director at the University of Utah, the back-to-back Pac-12 football champion's Uh, Mark, how are you doing? Happy New Year.
2: Happy New Year, Mike. Uh, Great to have a chance to talk with you, but I'm doing great. Just got back from Pasadena, Uh, didn't win the game, but uh, just an incredible season we had. Very excited.
1: Very exciting for sure, man. Uh, you know, you're in your fifth, fifth year there in Salt Lake City, and we're going to talk about a number of things today. But but I do want to talk about, you know, we've already alluded to the success in football the last couple of years. I want to talk about success in general. Then we're going to hone in on some some specific sports questions related to some success you've had in your other sports. And um, and then we'll, we'll decide where we go from there. But, but coming off the top, you know, you follow a guy in Chris Hill who was there for – this sounds – Unbelievable to even say out loud in today's world, but 31 years as athletic director and uh, obviously very respected in, in our industry uh, for, for a long, long time. And and now you're in your fifth year. And, and some would say that perhaps the last 24 months have been the best years, athletically speaking, maybe academically speaking, um, program growth speaking in the history of the University of Utah. And so I want to I want to talk a little bit about what what that has uh, as a result of but first let's talk about following a guy like Chris you and I know that 31 years is a long time and and certainly you have to be doing a, a nice job to, to have to be at a place for that long so I would assume you would say you came into a place that wasn't broken but like every place needs to you know have tweaks and and turns and and vision for the future so if you wouldn't mind let's just come off the top talking a little bit about following Chris
2: yeah, absolutely. You know, I remember um, in my opening press conference, you know, someone had asked me a similar question and I, it just came to me. I mean, Dr. Hill is on the Mount Rushmore of, of industry professionals in this business. And, you know, I think a lot of folks get opportunities to be ADs in different situations. I, I'm not so sure mine wasn't the very best it possibly could be because you hit it right on the head. This was not a broken institution. Um, it, was a, it was a department that was, was really on the rise in a lot of different ways, and it was, you know, kind of nice to walk in and be surrounded by so many great professionals that, that were here. You know, uh, look at our football coach, you know, at that time, I think going into his 12th year and, and very stable, and you could tell it was growing, and then across the whole department, But like you say, change is inevitable in anything and some other folks retired in that first year and we're able to recruit some people in to blend with an incredible staff here um, and uh, really kind of build upon everything that Dr. Hill did. I mean, he is the one that, through his persistence and drive and and unbelievable success, got us from the Mountain West to the to the Pac-12. And, you know, he'll forever be indebted to or we're indebted to him forever for that. So very honored and he still lives here and get to see him at all events. And it's always great to see him.
1: That's awesome. Well, you mentioned the, the, um, the move to the PAC 12 and let's talk about football for just a second. Kyle has been there for quite some time now and, and had unbelievable success when you're in the mountain West and, and really for, you know, jumping leagues and coming into the PAC 12 had had maintained that success, but now has sort of taken it to a new level in the league by having the back to back championships. And uh, you know, I know, when Utah gets the chance to go to the first Rose Bowl last year. What a big deal that was for your university. And then to follow it up again. And I saw the, the overhead shot from the blimps or drones or whatever it is they take overhead shots from now. And certainly there was a sea of red in the stadium there at the game. Um, the, let's just talk a little bit about Kyle and what you think makes him – has why he's had this, the sustained success that he's been able to have there as well.
2: Yeah, just a real authentic leader you know very very consistent um not only you know day to day but hour to hour in his expectations and and he holds himself accountable he holds the staff accountable and certainly holds our students accountable but when you have somebody who is authentic and loves the the student athletes that that he recruits in and um is consistent with them and in the way he he manages the program i think it allows students to thrive And again, you know, he, like anybody, is very open to say he had to learn along the way. I mean, he had his rough moments, particularly at times, and Dr. Hill stuck with him um, and invested in him because he believed in him. And so, you know, to watch all of that come together, to be in four league championship games in the last five years, the only one we weren't was in the COVID year. You know, it's not surprising to those that are on the inside here because of the kind of students we recruit, the kind of consistency. Uh, he provides in his leadership, but just an outstanding man, better man than he is coach. And that's, that's saying something.
1: Yeah. Great history there. Great run. So your first coach you hired was in the sport of skiing. I told you, I want to talk a little bit about a couple of sports. We don't talk as much about, you know, you have a lot of conversations about uh, football and and men's basketball, but there are so many universities across the country that excel in certain sports. And, and in particular, Utah's had a long history of success in gymnastics. And I want to talk about that in just, just a second, but as I alluded to, your first hire was actually in the sport of skiing and gone on. You guys have gone on to win three national championships uh, in skiing since that hire. Uh, you know, how does one recruit a skiing coach? Number one, uh, when that's not in the traditional uh, scope of what a lot of uh, search firms are helping with. And and there aren't a ton of ski programs around the country. So how do you how do you how do you go about recruiting your coach? And then talk about I mean, you obviously you guys there with. With uh, Park City and the other resorts around the the Salt Lake City area, I'm sure that's a, a great competitive advantage. How how do you guys what is there a, in skiing? Is there a home course, so to speak? And what are, how do you how does your team go about their practice philosophy around uh, being um, successful at, at, at a high level in that sport?
2: Yeah, well, first of all, I appreciate having a chance to brag about our skiing program. I'll tell you a quick funny story. When I when I was hired, of course, I was at University of South Florida. And there was a about a two to two and a half week gap between leaving Tampa and coming to Salt Lake. But there's never really a gap, as all our colleagues know. And and we we had a change. Uh, Chris had made a change in, in skiing, but they hadn't hired a coach yet. So I have fond memories of my deck in Tampa in the 98 degree weather uh, trying to recruit a ski coach. That was, that was new for me. But Frederick came to us from the University of New Mexico, where they were moving on from the program. So the timing was was perfect. He had been a very successful coach, and so we were able to recruit him in. I think the overall success of the program, I believe 14 or 15 national championships here, really kind of is like when it all comes together in other sports. We have an incredible donor support for our skiing program led by the Eccles family. We have a ski house that's right near where, where my office is, where our skiers operate out of. You can wax your skis, do all the equipment things that you could imagine. And we have a great partnership with our friends up the hill at Park City. We also have a great partnership with US ski team. Matter of fact, we are, are working in a new facility uh, up there to have a mountain for our guys to, and, and gals to practice in. So great program, you know, that, that we were the leading university to provide athletes in the Winter Olympics uh, for, for, for anyone, uh, you know, multiple teams, Team USA, Canada, et cetera, et cetera. So very proud of that program. And uh, one that we continue to, 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 to really believe it can win many as we, as we look into the future years.
1: Yeah, Mark, are there, is there a, how do you compete from a conference perspective in skiing?
2: Yeah, so we're, we're in the, the RMSA Ski Association, so it, 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 it has multiple teams in there. It's a really interesting sport, Mike, in that we have so many of our students that are, are international competitors that they actually have to fly home, compete for their country, come back. The Zoom classes have really helped them kind of get through it a little easier than pre-pandemic. But the one rule is when we compete as a youth team, particularly as we head toward the national championship, everyone has to be here to go. It's definitely different in the way that it operates, but uh, but but similar when they all come together. And like any individual sport, they love to compete as a team.
1: Yeah. So Pac-12 has had a, a history of success in gymnastics for a long time. Certainly now you're seeing. Uh, In recent years, you've seen a a greater investment in the the sport of gymnastics by the Southeastern Conference and now the Atlantic Coast Conference. So there there are more players uh, in in that sport, but you guys have continued to hold fast to an an elite uh, level of competition there in Salt Lake. The commitment I'm assuming on that sport was made early. Do you still have the same sort of dynamic fan attendance and and what are you seeing with your gymnastics program right now?
2: yeah really proud of 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 everything this program has accomplished we we owe everything to greg Marston who started the program many years ago Uh, his wife megan co-coach forever they both have retired now tom farden who they trained to be ready has taken over the program you know we have been to the national championship last day 44 straight years uh competing multiple national championships and to your point our friends in the south uh, decided to really invest in this in this sport some decade plus ago to their credit. Mm-hmm. And now it is just an incredible, uh, incredible atmosphere. Up until last year, uh, LSU caught us last year, but we were the, the, the most attended female sport in the NCAA with close to 13,000 to 14,000 a meet. Um, it is maniacal. They go by the Red Rocks moniker. That's their nickname. Obviously, they're Utes, but they're Red Rocks. And they are, they are big time in this community, um, and they're just amazing. And as we tape today, we open tonight against LSU, sold out, um, going to be one of the biggest events we've had in the Huntsman Center since the pandemic. So it's an incredible program, multiple Olympians on the team, U.S., Canadian, and English Olympians, and just an amazing group to be
1: around. Wow, that's phenomenal, man. Um, you know, I haven't had a lot of conversations with athletic directors over the course of now 60 some episodes about academics. But, you know, as I do my research, um, one of the things that stood out to me was the GPA that your department has held um, over the last three or four years, you know, hovering somewhere between three, four, three, six as a department. Uh, I think that says a lot about your institution. I think it says a lot. It has to say a lot about your support structure. It has to say a lot about the kinds of student athletes that you're recruiting. Um, you've been around the block, you've worked at a number of institutions. Um, what do you owe that academic success to beyond what I've just alluded to?
2: Well, you hit it on the head, right? We have coaches who are recruiting and student athletes who, who care about doing the right stuff in the classroom as well as in competition. Again, I go back to Dr. Hill, his leadership. You know, I think he knew well, we've talked about this, he and I, that when we got into the Pac-12, competition was going to raise big time. In essence, it was almost going to be like a new job for many of our coaches and getting those kind of athletes. Now, at the same time, he had to build up that academic and service team and all of that. And so we've we've gone 30 plus semesters now, well over over 3.0. And, you know, we're second at Stanford in graduation rate at about 94 percent to in GSR. So a lot of that stuff um you know comes together in that once you start getting into a rhythm of that the other students the freshmen come in and realize they got to be like that and the other thing i think we've really done the last few years in particular is we really reinvested into our mental health team we've got five full-time mental health uh psychologists on staff and and i really look at that group as another key reason you know we can get into the pandemic and how they guided everyone through that and and i think all of that led to the success that you mentioned early these last two years there's a lot of ingredients that went into that but but our students know it's really important you can't compete here if you're not going to compete in the classroom it's it's as simple as that
1: yeah so uh if you look back at your history you've been a very successful fundraiser for a long time uh you know, obviously you, you had a, a extensive e- experience in the external side of things at arizona um you know great success at ucla i know you were involved in a poly renovation there that was 130 some odd million dollars and involved in the the rose bowl renovation that was 200 million dollars as athletic director at south florida obviously a number of initiatives that have continued to set that program on the the right kind of trajectory um following doug and then and now with with michael coming in behind behind you and then many projects that you're you have done there since you've been back at utah including the, the garf family red zone so i'd love for you just to comment on your experience in fundraising development what you found as the success tools, how you try to go about your business. Because I do think this, Mark, and, and, and granted, this is biased, right? B- because I was in development uh, as well. Um, you know, the, when you review who else, who should be in a chair, uh, there's been probably in some ways too much emphasis placed on the fact that, hey, you need to be able to fundraise. I do think that's an important part of it, a very important part of it. And Ross Bjork, when uh, one of these interviews, said he felt like you either need to have and AD need to either have some significant development and external presence or they need to understand the law. Right. Um, how much time do you commit to development in your work now, knowing that you have myriad responsibilities that are, you know, across all kinds of, of aspects of the role?
2: Well, certainly it's it, it's a big part of of the role here you know developing uh, cultivating and 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 you know these relationships are so important and we you know we talk about our success again we've really increased our fundraising because so many great people in the community have stepped up for us but you know for me fundraising there's really two things that come to mind you know when i i worked for dick tomey one of my mentors at arizona he was a football coach and he it wasn't really recruiting coordinators there and he put me in that role as a GA. And I learned quickly how organized you had to be with relationship development and all those kind of things. And, and tracking those relationships, trying to get those young men to say yes, at some point and not being offended if they say no, right, just keep moving on. And then when I worked with Mr. Live and Good, and he taught me a lot of things about fundraising, once I got out of that, that coaching football staff area, and then he brought in this feller named Chris Del Connie, who showed up uh, one day and he asked me to partner with him. And that was a two years of 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 just absolute lunacy (laughs) and probably the funnest the funnest time my career but what Chris taught me besides just being you know one of the hardest working people I've ever been around is not to overthink it right these are people they're passionate talk to them learn from them have fun with them you know I, I remember him poking fun at every CEO big time person you can imagine. And, and so watching that so that the diligence and the organization along with just Chris remind me all the time, it's about relationships. So I really enjoy it. Um, I sometimes find myself, you know, two or three days of just doing straight fundraising relationships, then you go away from it a little bit back and forth. But it's certainly resource development is really critical in what we do. And um, but it's something that I'm real fortunate that I love to do.
1: Yeah, so you guys were fortunate enough to close what was the largest gift in your history with the Garf family a few years ago, and that that entailed closing in your end zone. I I was thinking about um, that particular, certainly that was for the support of the football program in general, but, uh, but in particular as it related to the expansion of your stadium and the closing of the end zone, you guys have had, I think now, a pretty long run at sellouts, right? And so Correct. with the dynamics of, of changing fan behavior, I still think there's something to be said about being present and, in a live football environment, but I think some schools are starting to evaluate what's the tipping point of how many seats versus too many seats or not enough seats. And you guys obviously added seats. You're now at uh, 51, 52,000, if I remember correctly. Um, right. did, did that, was was that, how did you evaluate the fact that you had a hard demand for your ticket But yet you also felt like you need to continue to invest in uh, the fans and expand. Talk to me a little bit about the dynamic of considering what's the right amount to expand by and what you were trying to accomplish with your end zone project.
2: Yeah, it was probably the, the I don't know if it was the hardest, but I felt like the most strategic decision we had to make. And luckily, we had the great folks from CSL that uh, had already been hired by Chris and had done a comprehensive study on quantity and of course pricing of whatever product we were going to make decisions on and I'll be candid I, I think the CSL study said we could probably push it to 60 um, and and make things work we had the ability to, to build the end zone that big but you know we were coming off like you said I think at that time seven or eight years of, of sellouts at 47. Uh, a scarcity of ticket, which is something Chris connor and I used to always talk about is the best thing you can have in this business and a maniacal atmosphere. So we settled in on that 51, right? We felt like that took us over 50. That was a number that I think we we, we really wanted us to be. I wanted us to be. So once we made that decision, we just got off you know, with designing all the product and, and working with uh, populists and, and legends who we also brought in to help sell the product. But But you know, we now already have a waiting list again, right? You know, but not what it was in terms of 5,000, but, you know, we're back to about 2,000. So 11 straight years now of sellouts. Um, the end zone sold out, built it during the pandemic, sold it during the pandemic. Legends did an incredible job. as did a lot of folks on my team, Scott Cole, who led that project for us. So just a just an amazing testament to the success of the football team, but also to people that stepped up. The Garf family, Garf Automotive, one of the largest private uh auto dealerships in the country great people and they saw the vision they saw how this would not only help football but it would also help our whole department by the additional revenue coming back to support scholarship and services so it was one of those everything came together but i'm glad we launched it when we did because you know we got our steel in just in time and we were able to to get it done late in construction a local firm here right right before uh right before everything shut down
1: well your stadium's a great story from you know starting with uh you know the 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 momentum coming out of the Olympics in Salt Lake City and and what was done during that time for the, the opening and closing ceremonies and then your private fundraising which we've just alluded to your fan support for so long the success that Kyle's had I candidly the I, though I've not been to a game there I've been in the stadium a couple of times right the tight nature to the field I yep. think has got to be a fan a fan advantage so it's a it's a pretty cool. Pretty cool scene for sure. I want to shift the the Pac-12 converse, conversation because I do want to focus on this for a few minutes uh, with our remaining time. Um, there's a there are a lot of directions we could go with this, but uh, let's start off the top with um, you know I, I hesitate to called George the new commissioner because now he's been in the chair for a little bit, but I know that you're a fan and I would be interested to hear your perspective on you know a guy who came in from out of the industry has inherited some interesting. Uh, conversations uh, really throughout his entire tenure. But, you know, the, the media, the multimedia rights uh, and, uh, question, this the question of departure of schools, um, all those sorts of things. Let's talk about George first and what you think has made him successful early and, and uh, how, why you like working with him.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, George came in and, and I think he did a brilliant thing the day he was hired you know we the ADs were kept out of that we were certainly in the front part of the process talking about profile but once they got to work our presidents and chancellors obviously kept everything quiet so when he was announced I was like everybody else you know I recognized the name because he had worked at MGM and and we had done deals with them to, to move the, the men's basketball tournament there and some of the football conversations we were having to move there so I knew of the name I'd met him but that afternoon, he called all of us. You know, he called us all individually, uh, had a great conversation that really set the tone, very transparent uh, in his approach. He, he, I remember that that first we all went to Vegas and met him actually before he started on July one and and he wanted to listen and learn, right? Kind of admitting to all of us, hey, I'm not a practitioner. You guys have been in this business, so help me as we go through this. And of course, NIL is first day and all those things and everything you have alluded to. but. You know, I think what he's done a really good job of is keeping us informed. Now it's been hard. I mean, June 30 last year was, was a gut punch for everybody. When we found out about SC and UCLA moving on, he immediately got us together. And as we go through all the way up until today, he's been very transparent as we try to close this, this television deal, which is so critical. But appreciate the fact that, that leaders that, that are willing to listen, leaders that are willing to um, you know, take advice and, and counsel from others, and make make decisions, and uh, I think he's done a great job.
1: Yeah, by all measures that I can see from the outside looking in, I think that's that's the case. Uh, you know, look, this um, certainly there was the the SC UCLA move within your league. There've been other moves across other leagues across the country. I'm curious. Um, I don't think I'm overstepping here by asking this question. The, the uh, you'll tell me if I am. Uh, you know, every AD that sits in in your chair uh, in the in your league or in other leagues when these things start happening and their moves, um, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say how you navigate what inevitably becomes your own paranoia around it. Um, And then focusing in on those that remain and understanding that you've got good, um, you've got really good people in the league. You've got great institutions in the league and, and deciding how do you, how do you, you know, join arms and lock arms and make sure that you aren't shy about saying that you have that. Uh, but at the same time, also being, you know, aware enough to, to know that ultimately your, your job is to protect the university of Utah's interests. Uh, now there's a lot in that question, right? But I guess I'm, I'm really asking you to sort of peel back the curtain a little bit and, and maybe give us some thoughts on how you've navigated these last, uh, 12 or so months with, the, with the, the announcement that came.
2: Yeah, well, Mike, that, you know, you're obviously someone who's been in this chair and I think you just articulated exactly the challenge. You know, um, I think there is a duality in all of this, right? The Pac-12 conference is a pride conference, a hundred plus years with great success in so many different ways. I don't need to get into all of that, but, you know, you do feel a certain obligation to keep this conference moving forward. Some of it's personal, you know, I, I went to a school in this conference, I've worked in multiple schools in this conference and all of that. Um, while at the same time you're the athletic director at, at, you know, the University of Utah, and you have to make sure that you balance those things accordingly. The good news where the president and I are, as are many in my conference and colleagues, is that those two can be synchronous. You know, you can you can move the conference forward and also move your, your school forward. So it's it's been a multiple-step journey. I think probably 10 years from now, I'll have more chance to really reflect. I remember July probably being as down as I've been and I try not to get down in this job because there's so many ups and downs. You just go. Dan Guerrero taught me that when we worked together, but but that was a tough July was tough. And who was staying, who was going, who was going to get a dance card, who wasn't, you know, trying to figure everything out, new commissioner, but we knew he could do it. You know, all these kind of things were going on. But I think the good news is things have really settled in. You know, I think our conference had an unbelievable fall with six teams in the top twenty-five at the end of the year. You know, we didn't get into the CFP. We just kind of eat our own a little bit. It's kind of what we do. But we had such great teams this year. And I think it's reminded all of us who we are and who we can be. And I think it's reminding our media partners who we can be as we as we finish this up. But you know, it's it's uh I guess the other thing I've really learned is you just can't take this stuff personally. I think I went through taking it personally with Mike and Martin. I was upset with them. And and I realized sometime like in the first part of August, you know, those guys are doing what they think is best and you have to respect our colleagues. And so that's, you know, I'm over that. We're moving forward together. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of fun. We kick them out of meetings, you know, we're like, Hey guy, and then we kick them out and then they come back and we kick them out. So we're in our rhythm just as, as other conferences have had to do the last couple of years, but we're all moving forward, looking forward to some stability with this new deal. I think it will be really great for all of us. And I do believe the 10 of us are gonna march forward and then we'll take a look at expansion. That's still something I think our chancellors have asked us to do. But if we stay at 10, then let's get after it. That's kind of the way I view it.
1: Well, the good news is, as we alluded to off the top here, Utah is performing at at one of the highest levels you've ever performed at across the board in all your sports. And so you've proven that uh, something good is happening at your place, right? And that you guys are uh, headed in the right direction. And I'm sure you will continue to, to do that. Let's close out with you referred to Dick Tomey as being one of your mentors. I've seen publicly where you've, you've basically pointed to Dick and to Dan Guerrero as two of your mentors. Talk a little bit about uh, the, the concept of mentoring is, is an interesting thing. Uh, I think we need mentors. And I had a discussion with Patty Phillips at one time on one of these podcasts. Where we talked about does mentoring happen through the request to mentor or uh, the request to serve the, the idea that you would serve as someone to mentor or does it happen organically, right? And uh, I can tell you some folks who have had an instrumental part in my career. First of all, those two guys specifically, if you wouldn't mind, talk to that, and secondly, your view of the concept of mentoring and how that plays out.
2: Yeah, well. Let's just start with Coach Tommy, who we lost a few years ago. But he, he, you know, being around him as a as a as a student at Arizona, and then working for him, and having a personal relationship with his son too along the way, one of my best friends, in this big world of college football in the late '80s, and you know, he just made it small. He made the family atmosphere and. I could see the way he would hug his young men, and that was something new for me to see that and, and showing that, that love and compassion and care can actually lead to incredible results rather than maybe what I thought, oh, you got to be around a screamer. You know, I don't know. It's just kind of what you see on TV a lot. And then the way he treated his staff, you know, worked harder than everybody else. He, he set the foundation for really everything who I am professionally and a lot personally. And then as I got moved up in the business and, and worked around, I got the opportunity to work with Dan and, you know, Dan, UCLA is a hard place. I mean, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen at UCLA, it just always does. And to watch him deal with crisis and to watch him move the organization forward. But again, you know, com- just so much compassion and care. And one of the best listeners I've ever been around, he, he would have a way to ask questions, right, that that was was just unique and elite, and I've tried to learn a lot from that. But again, the common thread with those two is just care about your people, treat them as, as as great as you can, and and you know go from there. I think was when it relates to mentors, I'm more on the organic side. You know, I I think that you know those two men were just people I was fortunate to be around, work for, and organically it it grew. That being said, I've had student athletes since I've been at AD come by just to meet with me, and and that was maybe not some of the organic way, but has developed into that. You know, I still have a lot of students at, at South Florida. I check in with, they check in with me answering questions. And of course, same here now that I've been here for five years. So I think it, however you get there, but you gotta have one, you know? Um, I called Dan a, a lot um, on a lot of different things. Um, I still have dictomy in my cell phone and when it gets really mm-hmm. thick, I'll, I'll, I'll just, you know, just call it. it. It's just something that is soothing to me. But these folks are these folks are critical, and I know part of my obligation as I get a little older here is to make sure that I'm doing everything I can to to you know pay it forward, so to speak, to folks that are either working for me or are other relationship student athletes. I just think it's critical. And the last thing I'll say on this mic is, we need really strong people in this industry and um, i know greg byrne when he was running nacta you know really encouraging all of us to get back to nacta the ads had slipped out and all those other things but he's right we have got to as leaders really be mentoring particularly the young people in our departments those 20 30 year olds because we need solid people um great opportunities but great challenges ahead but we have got to bring on young people and help them as they uh as they move forward
1: yeah. And I'd th- say this, I think that one of the issues that, that we're facing right now is there was a time when we were all willing to work for free T-shirts and, and a warm hot dog. And, um, yep. you know, times have changed. And uh, folks who are a little bit younger, uh, you know, tend to history shows that they, they, they move from job to job. And you can't just assume that everybody wants to work in college athletics for, for you know, what sometimes at the entry level in particular is not, are not huge salaries. And and so the mentoring part of this, the pouring in uh, as an AD who has been around is is significant and uh, leadership development uh, is is significant. And and look, there are plenty of of capable uh, young people out there uh, today who can have an impact on this. And we need to not forget that. And I think part of it is also giving them the chance to succeed and listen. Right. Because times are different and you and I have our view on on the world related to our age our time and and uh, you know our time your time is is you know it's not your, your horizon is probably not 25 years right it's a it's a shorter horizon so right. uh, how do you how do you do that in the right way I think is going to be really critical this is still despite all the um, the different puts and takes and and things that have been said about college athletics over the last let's call it 24 to 36 months um, I, it's still a great place to work. Uh, you have the opportunity to, to have an impact on young people's lives. And it's folks like you that are going to continue to make it that way. So I don't know how you're let, – okay, I said I was going to end on the question about mentors. Just really quickly, how are you guys trying to recruit, uh, uh, you know, younger staff members? Do you see, like at any given time at Learfield, we're having turnover, right? And it's mainly coming in our younger – it's in our younger uh, group of folks. How are you guys addressing that are you are you seeing that in, in your world at, at utah
2: yeah absolutely particularly post-pandemic and 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 kind of what i said earlier about my my la colleagues you know at first i was taking some of this stuff personally we were bringing students in or students we were bringing young people in particularly in the external area although i don't want to pick on that area but they were moving forward I'm like what's going on it's a great place we're winning games here we got all this stuff going on and then i realized can't take it personally, you, you got it just like with coaches with transfers, you got to really look inward and say, okay, what are we doing culture? Look in the mirror um, and do the best we can. But the other thing, and it sounds cliche, but deep bench, we talk a lot to our department heads, uh, particularly in the marketing, communication development, uh, new media space, develop a bench, you know, really spend time every week developing a bench because there's some incredible people out there, but you're right. The days of working seven, you know, days a week and all that, you know, you know, it's like walking 10 miles in the snow, you know, our parents and all that kind of stuff. When we laughed at that, they laugh at us now on that. So we got to just listen to them. What's important to them. I'll tell you the one thing that we really found here is this whole hour thing. We got to give these kids Mondays and Tuesdays off if they're working all weekend. Like we have to set the standard. Like you guys don't have to come in on Monday and Tuesday. I mean, that sounds a little silly, but we've actually set some of those parameters up here to try to give them some balance. You know, the whole thing. Some of them are still on Zoom. I, you know, I want them all in. I, I, I am yeah. that that guy. But I've also learned, hey, some of them can be. So anyway, trying to do everything we can to keep the good ones here, but also know that that it's going to happen. Have a streamlined HR operation. Have a bench and and get after it. At the end of the day, the the, the university is what matters, and and we'll recruit great people in here.
1: Uh, much as I expected. Spot on. Um, Hey, look, I know you've got a ton going on and um, I appreciate the fact that you've taken this uh, 30 plus minutes out of your day to to visit with me and to visit with us and the folks that are listening to this. Um, You're you're a special guy and and doing a great job in Utah. So thanks for joining us today.
2: Yeah, Mike, thank you. And and really appreciate your team here at Learfield. Appreciate your leadership and um, got a great team here, always hitting their full full numbers here, and and just it's fun to have them so integrated into our into our whole department. So appreciate you and appreciate Learfield. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much. I know you'll tell us that we need to to get better at what we're doing along the way. Um, and and <laughs> That's we're the on, we're off the we're, podcast. We'll talk later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're recording on January sixth. Mark did refer to a big meet tonight on campus against LSU and gymnastics. Wishing you well on that. This has been From the Chair. We broadcast every Wednesday. You can also go back in the archives and look at the other 60 or so that have been recorded. You can watch the, the podcast on YouTube or listen to it across all audio platforms. We hope you'll join this week and every week, and we'll see you next time.